0: CHAPTER Fourteen OF BABBITT This autumn, a Mr. W. G. Harding of Marion, Ohio, was appointed President of the United States, but Zenith was less interested in the national campaign than in the local election. Seneca Doane, though he was a lawyer and a graduate of the State University, was a candidate for mayor of Zenith on an alarming labor ticket. To oppose him, the Democrats and Republicans united on Lucas Prout a mattress manufacturer with a perfect record for sanity. Mr. Prout was supported by the banks, the Chamber of Commerce, all the decent newspapers, and George F. Babbitt. Babbitt was precinct leader on Floral Heights, but his district was safe and he longed for stouter battling. His convention paper had given him the beginning of a reputation for oratory. So the Republican Democratic Central Committee sent him to the Seventh Ward in South Zenith, to address small audiences of workmen and clerks, and wives uneasy with their new votes. He acquired a fame enduring for weeks. Now and then a reporter was present at one of his meetings, and the headlines, though they were not very large, indicated that George F. Babbitt had addressed a cheering throng, and distinguished men of affairs had pointed out the fallacies of Doane once in the road review section of the sunday advocate times there was a photograph of babbitt and a dozen other businessmen with the caption leaders of zenith finance and commerce who back prout he deserved his glory he was an excellent campaigner he had faith he was certain that if lincoln were alive he would be electioneering for mr w g harding unless he came to zenith and electioneered for lucas prout he did not confuse audiences by silly subtleties. Prout represented honest industry. Seneca Doane represented whining laziness, and you could take your choice. With his broad shoulders and vigorous voice, he was obviously a good fellow, and rarest of all, he really liked people. He almost liked common workmen. He wanted them to be well paid and able to afford high rents, though naturally they must not interfere with the reasonable profits of stockholders. Thus nobly endowed and keyed high by the discovery that he was a natural orator, he was popular with audiences, and he raged through the campaign, renowned not only in the seventh and eighth wards but even in parts of the sixteenth. Two, crowded in his car, they came driving up to Turavan Hall, South Zenith. Babbitt, his wife Verona, Ted, and Paul and Zilla Risling. The hall was over a delicatessen shop in a street banging with trawling-cars and smelling of onions and gasoline and fried fish. A new appreciation of Babbitt filled all of them, including Babbitt. Don't know how you keep it up. Talking to three bunches in one evening. Wish I had your strength," said Paul. And Ted exclaimed to Verona, The old man certainly does know how to kid these roughnecks along. Men in black sateen shirts, their faces new-washed, but with a hint of grime under their eyes, were loitering on the broad stairs up to the hall. Babbitt's party politely edged through them and into the whitewashed room. At the front of which was a dais with a red plush throne and pine altar painted watery blue, as used nightly to the grand masters in supreme pontificates of unimaginable lodges. The hall was full as Babbitt pushed through the fringe. Standing at the back, he heard the precious tribute. That's him the chairman bustled down the center aisle with an impressive the speaker already sir uh let's see what's the name sir then babbitt slid into a sea of eloquence ladies and gentlemen of the sixteenth ward there is one who cannot be with us here tonight a man than whom there is no more stalwart trojan in all the political arenas i refer to our leader the Honorable Lucas Prout, Standard Bearer of the City and County of Zenith. Since he is not here, I trust that you will bear with me, as a friend and neighbor, as one who is proud to share with you the common blessing of being a resident of the great City of Zenith. I tell you in all candor, honestly, and sincerity, the issues of this critical campaign appear to one plain man of business to one who brought up to the blessings of poverty and of manual labor has even when fate condemned him to sit at a desk yet never forgotten how it feels by heck to be up at five-thirty and at the factory with the old dinner pail in his hardened mitt when the whistle blew at seven unless the owner sneaked in ten minutes on us and blew it early laughter to come down to the basics and fundamental issues of this campaign the great error insincerity promulgated by seneca Doane. there were workmen who jeered young cynical workmen for the most part foreigners jews swedes irishmen italians but the older men the patient bleached stoop carpenters and mechanics cheered him and when he worked up to his antecedent of Lincoln, their eyes were wet. Modestly, busily, he hurried out of the hall on delicious applause and sped off to his third audience of the evening. "'Ted, you better drive,' he said. "'Kind of all in after that spiel. Well, Paul, how'd it go? Did I get him?' "'Fully corking. You had a lot of pet.' Mrs. Babbitt worshipped oh it was fine so clear and interesting and such nice ideas when i hear you orating i realize i don't appreciate how profoundly you think and what a splendid brain and vocabulary you have just splendid but verona was irritating dan she worried how do you know that public ownership of utilities and so on and so forth will always be a failure Mrs. Babbitt reproved. Roan, I think you should see and realize that your father's all worn out with orating. It's no time to expect him to explain these complicated subjects. I'm sure when he's rested, he'll be glad to explain it all to you. Now, let's all be quiet and give Papa a chance to get ready for his next speech. Just think, right now they're gathering in Maccabee Temple and waiting for us. 3 mr lucas prout in sound business defeated mr seneca doane in class rule and zenith was again saved babbitt was offered several minor appointments to distribute amongst poor relations but he preferred advance information about the extension of paved highways and this a grateful administration gave to him also he was one of only nineteen speakers at the dinner with which the chamber of commerce celebrated the victory of righteousness his reputation for oratory established at the dinner of the zenith real estate board he made the annual address the advocate times reported this speech with unusual fullness one of the liveliest banquets that has recently been pulled off occurred last night in the annual get-together fest of the zenith real estate board held in the venetian ballroom of the o'herne house mine host gil O'Hearn, had as usual done himself proud and those assembled feasted on such an assemblage of plates as could be rivalled nowhere west of new york if there and washed down the plenteous feed with a cup which inspired but did not inebriate in the shape of cider from the farm of chandler mott president of the board and who acted as witty and efficient chairman as mr mott was suffering from slight infection and sore throat g f babbitt made the principal talk besides outlining the progress of touristing real estate titles mr babbitt spoke in part as follows in rising to address you with my impromptu speech carefully tucked into my vest pocket i am reminded of the story of two irishmen mike and pat who were riding on the pullman both of them i forgot to say were sailors in the navy it seems mike had the lower berth and by and by he heard a terrible racket from the upper and when he yelled up to find out what the trouble was pat answered ah sure and behead and now can i ever get a night's sleep at all at all i've been trying to get into this darn little hammock ever since eight bells now gentlemen standing up here before you i feel a good deal like pat and maybe after i've spieled along for a while i may feel so darn small that i am able to crawl into a pullman hammock with no trouble at all gentlemen it strikes me that each year at this annual occasion when friend and foe get together and lay down the battle-axe and let the waves of good fellowship waft them up the flowery slopes of amity it behooves us standing together eye to eye and shoulder to shoulder as fellow citizens of the best city in the world to consider where we are both as regards ourselves and the commonwealth it is true that even with our 361,000 or practically 362,000 population there are by the last census almost a score of larger cities in the United States but gentlemen if by the next census we do not stand at least 10th then I'll be the first to request any knocker to remove my shirt and eat the same with the compliments of G.F. Babbitt Esquire it may be true that new york chicago and philadelphia will continue to keep ahead of us in size but aside from these three cities which are notoriously so overgrown that no decent white man nobody who loves his wife and kiddies and god's good out of doors and likes to shake the hand of his neighbors in greeting would want to live in them and let me tell you right here and now i wouldn't trade a high-class zenith acreage development for the whole length and breadth of broadway or state street aside from these three it's evident to anyone with a head for facts that zenith is the finest example of american life and prosperity to be found anywhere i don't mean to say we're perfect we've got a lot to do in the way of extending and paving the motor boulevards for believe me It's a fellow with four to ten thousand years, say, in an automobile, and a nice little family in a bungalow on the edge of town that makes the wheels of progress go round. That's the type of fellow that's ruling America today. In fact, it's the ideal type to which the entire world must tend. If there's to be a decent, well-balanced, Christian-go-ahead future for this little old planet, once in a while i just naturally sit back and size up this solid American citizen with a wail of a lot of satisfaction. Our ideal citizen, I picture him first and foremost as being busier than a bird dog, not wasting a lot of time in daydreaming or going to society teas or kicking about things that are none of his business, but putting the zip into some store or profession or art. At night, he lights up a good cigar and climbs into a little old bus and maybe cusses the carburetor and shoots out home. He mows the lawn or sneaks in some practice putting, and then he's ready for dinner. After dinner, he tells the Giddies a story or takes the family to the movies or plays a few fists of bridge or reads the evening paper, and a chapter or two of some good, lively Western novel, if he has a taste for literature and maybe the folks next door drop in, and they sit and visit about their friends and the topics of the day. Then he goes happily to bed, his conscience clear, having contributed his might to the prosperity of the city and to his own bank account. In politics and religion, this sane citizen is the canniest man on earth, and in the arts he invariably has the natural taste which makes him pick out the best every time in no country in the world will you find so many reproductions of the old masters and the well-known paintings on parlor walls as in these united states no country has anything like our number of phonographs with not only dance records and comic but also the best operas such as verdi rendered by the world's highest paid singers in other countries art and literature are left to a lot of shabby bums living in attics and feeding on booze and spaghetti but in america the successful writer or picture painter is indistinguishable from any other decent business man and i for one am only too glad that the man who has the rare skill to season his message with interesting reader matter and who shows both purpose and pep in handling his literary wares, has a chance to drag down his fifty thousand bucks a year, to mingle with the biggest executive on terms of perfect equality, and to show as big a house, as swell a car, as any captain of industry. But, mind you, it's the appreciation of the regular guy who I have been depicting which has made this possible and you got to hand as much credit to him as to the authors themselves finally but most important our standardized citizen even if he is a bachelor is a lover of the little ones a supporter of the hearthstone which is the basic foundation of our civilization first last and all the time and the thing that most distinguishes us from the decayed nations of Europe. I have never yet toured Europe, and, as a matter of fact, I don't know that I care to such an awful lot, as long as there's our own mighty cities and mountains to be seen. But the way I figure it out, there must be a good many of our own sort of folks abroad. Indeed, one of the most enthusiastic Rotarians I ever met boasted, the tenants of one hundred percent pep in a burr that smacked o bonnie scotland and all ye bonnie braes bonnie boons but same time one thing that distinguishes us from our good brothers the hustlers over there is they're willing to take a lot off the snobs and journalists and politicians while the modern american business man knows how to talk right up for himself knows how to make it good and plenty clear that he intends to run the works. He doesn't have to call in some highbrow-hired man when it's necessary for him to answer the crooked critics of the sane and efficient life. He's not dumb. Like the old-fashioned merchant, he's got a vocabulary and a punch. With all modesty, I want to stand up here as a representative businessman and gently whisper. HERE'S OUR KIND OF FOLKS. HERE'S THE SPECIFICATIONS OF THE STANDARDIZED AMERICAN CITIZEN. HERE'S THE NEW GENERATION OF AMERICANS. FELLOWS WITH HAIR ON THEIR CHESTS AND SMILES IN THEIR EYES AND ADDING MACHINES IN THEIR OFFICES. WE'RE NOT DOING ANY BOASTING, BUT WE LIKE OURSELVES FIRST RATE. AND IF YOU DON'T LIKE US, LOOK OUT. BETTER GET under cover BEFORE THE CYCLONE HITS TOWN so in my clumsy way i have tried to sketch the real he-man the fellow with zip and bang and because zenith has so large a proportion of such men that it's most stable the greatest of our cities new york also has its thousands of real folks but new york is cursed with unnumbered foreigners so are chicago and san francisco Oh, we have a golden roster of cities detroit and cleveland with their renowned factories cincinnati with its great machine-tool and silk products pittsburgh and birmingham with their steel kansas city and minneapolis and omaha that open their bountiful gates on the bosom of the ocean-like wheatlands and countless other magnificent sister cities for by the last sentence there were no less than sixty-eight glorious american burgs with a population of over one hundred thousand and all these cities stand together for power and purity and against foreign ideas and communism atlanta with hartford rochester with denver milwaukee with indianapolis los angeles with scranton portland maine and portland oregon a good live wire from baltimore or seattle or duluth the twin brother Of every like fellow booster from Buffalo or Akron, Fort Worth, or Okaloosa. But it's here in Zenith, the home for manly men and womenly women and bright kids, that you find the largest proportion of these regular guys, and that's what sets it in a class by itself. That's why Zenith will be remembered in history as having set the pace for a civilization that shall endure when the old-time killing ways are gone forever and the day of earnest, efficient endeavor shall have dawned all round the world. Sometime I hope folks will quit handling all the credit to a lot of moth-eaten, mildewed, out-of-date old European dumps, and give their proper credit to the famous zenith spirit, that clean, fighting determination to win. Success that has made our little old zip city, celebrated in every land and clime wherever condensed milk and pasteboard cartons are known. Believe me, the world has fallen too long for these worn-out countries that aren't producing anything but boot blacks and scenery and booze, that haven't got one bathroom per hundred people and then don't know a loose-leaf ledger from a slipcover, and it's just about time for some Zenithite to get his back up and holler for a showdown i'll tell you zenith and her sister cities are producing a new type of civilization there are many resemblances between zenith and these other bergs and i'm darn glad of it the extraordinary growing and sane standardization of stores offices streets hotels clothes and newspapers throughout the united states shows how strong an enduring type is ours i always like to remember a piece that chum frank wrote for the newspaper about his lecture tours. It is doubtful familiar to many of you, but if you will permit me, I'll take a chance and read it. It's one of the classiest poems, like if by Kipling or Ella Wheeler Wilcox's The Man Worthwhile, and I always carry this clipping of it in my notebook. When I am out upon the road, a poet with a peddler's load I mostly sing a hearty song and take a chew and hike along, a uh, handling out my samples fine of cheerio brand of sweet sunshine, and peddling optimistic pokes and stable lines of japes and jokes, to Lyceums and other folks, to Rotary's Kawanas clubs, and feel I ain't like other dubs, and then old oh, Major Silas Staten, a brainy cuss who's always waitin he gives his tail a lively quirk and gets it quick is dirty work he fills me up with molly grubs my hair the backward way he rubs he makes me lonier than a hound on sunday when the folks ain't around and then bagarsh, i prefer to never be a lecturer a ridin round in classic cars and smoking fifty-cent cigars and never more i want to roam i simply want to be back home a eatin flapjacks hash and ham with folks who's savvy whom I am, but when I get that lonely spell, I simply seek the best hotel, no matter in what town I be—St. Paul, Toledo, or K.C. in Washington, Connecticut, in Louisville or Albany—and at that inn it hits my dome that I am right at home. If I should stand a lengthy spell in front of that first-class hotel that the drummer loves to cater across from some big film theater if i should look round and buzz and wonder in what town i was i swear that i could never tell for all the crowd would be so swell in just the same fine sort of jeans they wear at home and all the queens with spiffy bonnets on their beans and all the fellows standin' round a talkin' always i'll be bound the same good jolly kind of guff about auto's politics and stuff and baseball players of renown—that nice guys talk in my hometown. Then, when I entered that hotel, I looked around and say, "Well, well!" For there would be some newsstand, some magazine, and candies grand, some smokes of famous Standard brand. I'd find at home. I'll tell. And when I saw the jolly bunch come waltzing in for eats at lunch, and squaring up in natty duds to platters large of French fried spuds why then i'd stand right up and bawl i've never left my home at all and all replete i'd sit down beside some guy in derby brown upon a lobby chair of plush and murmur to him under rush hello bill tell me good old scout how is your stock a holdin out then we'd be off two solid pals a chattin' like giddy gals of flippers weather home and wives lodge brothers and for all our lives so when sam satan makes you blue good friend that's what i'd up and do for in these states where you roam you never leave your home sweet home yes sir these other bergs are our true partners in the great game of vital living but let's not have any mistake about this i claim that zenith is the best partner and a fastest growing partner of the whole caboodle i trust i may be pardoned if i give a few statistics to back up my claims if they are old stuff to any of you yet the tidings of prosperity like the good news of the bible never become tedious to the ears of the real hustler no matter how oft the sweet story is told every intelligent person knows that zenith manufactures more condensed milk and evaporated cream or paper boxes And more lighting fixtures than any other city in the United States, if not the world. But it is not so universally known that we also stand second in the manufacture of packaged butter, sixth in the giant realm of motors and automobiles, and somewhere about third in cheese, leather findings, tar roofing, breakfast food, and overalls. Our greatness, however, lies not alone in punchful prosperity, but equally in that public spirit. That forward-looking idealism and brotherhood which has marked zenith ever since its foundation by the fathers we have a right indeed we have a duty toward our fair city to announce broadcast the facts about our high schools characterized by their complete plants and the finest school ventilating systems in the country bar none our magnificent new hotels and banks and the paintings and carved marble in their lobbies and the second national tower the second highest business building in any inland city in the entire country when i add that we have an unparalleled number of miles of paved streets bathroom vacuum cleaners and all the other signs of civilization that our library and art museum are well supported and housed in convenient and roomy buildings that our park system is more than up to par with its handsome driveways adorned with grass shrubs and statuary then i give but a hint of the all-around unlimited greatness of zenith i believe however in keeping the best to last when i reminded you that we have one motor car for every five and seven-eighths person in the city then i give a rock-ribbed practical indication of the kind of progress and braininess which is synonymous with the name Zenith. But the way of the righteous is not all roses. Before I close, I must call your attention to a problem we have to face this coming year. The worst menace to sound government is not the avowed socialist, but a lot of cowards who work undercover, the long-haired gentry who call themselves liberals and radicals, and nonpartisan and intelligentsia and god only knows how many other trick names irresponsible teachers and professors constitute the worst of this whole gang and i am ashamed to say that several of them are on the faculty of our great state university the u is my own alma mater and i am proud to be known as an alumni but there are certain instructors there who seem to think we ought to turn the conduct of the nation over to hoboes and roustabouts. These profs are the snakes to be scotched, they and all their milk and water ilk. The American businessman is generous to a fault, but one thing he does demand of all teachers and lecturers and journalists, if we're going to pay them our good money, they've got to help us by selling efficiently. efficiency and whooping it up for national prosperity and when it comes to these blab-mouthed fault-finding pessimistic cynical university teachers let me tell you that during this golden coming year it is just as much our duty to bring influence to have these cusses fired as it is to sell all the real estate and gather in all the good shekels we can not till this is done will our sons and daughters see the ideal of american manhood and culture isn't a lot of cranks sitting around chewing the rag about their rights or wrongs but a god-fearing hustling successful two-fisted regular guy who belongs to some church with pep and piety to it who belongs to the boosters or rotarians or the kiwanis to the elks or moose or red men or knights of columbus or any one of a score of organizations of good jolly kidding laughing sweating upstanding linda handing royal good fellows who plays hard and works hard and whose answer to his critics is a square-toed boot that'll teach the grouches and smart-alecks to respect the he-man and get out and root for uncle samuel u s a Babbitt promised to become a recognized orator. He entertained a smoker of men's club of the Chatham Road Presbyterian Church with Irish, Jewish, and Chinese dialect stories. But in nothing was he more clearly revealed as the prominent citizen than in his lecture on brass tax facts on real estate, as delivered before the class in sales methods at the Zenith YMCA. The Advocate Times reported the lecture so fully that Virgil Gunch said to Babbitt. You're getting to want to be the classiest spellbinders in town. Seems as if I couldn't pick up a paper without reading about your well-known eloquence. All this scuff ought to bring a lot of business into your office. Good work. Keep it up. Ah, uh, go on and quit your kidding, said Babbitt feebly. But at this tribute from Gunch, himself a man of no mean oratorical fame, he expanded with delight and wondered how, Before his vacation, he could have questioned the joys of being a solid citizen. End of chapter 14